back to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell, and I want to welcome you back. This is a program where you can hear information about law, about issues that are very important uh, here uh, to each and every person, each and every family. How do you get the deed or property from your grandparents' names into your name or your parents' name into your name? Those are the kinds of legal questions that we primarily address on this program, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. So call early if you had a question, been thinking about something, wondering about something. The objective of this program is to educate you, to inform you, and to empower you so that if you need this kind of well, we're all going to need it at some point because we're all leaving here and we're leaving all our property here. So you need to know how to and then do the documents, do take the steps that are needed to transfer your wealth. And please don't hesitate when I say wealth. Everything that you own is a part of your wealth, whether it is a house that is a mansion or a house that needs some work on it, okay, whether it's your bank account savings, retirement, insurance, all of those things are your legacy. And whatever you don't use up, somebody else is going to use it. And that can just as easily be the insurance company that never pays out because nobody ever files a claim because nobody knew you had a life insurance policy. The, the tax people, if they take your home because your children don't know how to or they don't act, quickly enough to either sell the home or pay the taxes. Um, a lot of people don't do that, and then they stay and stay and stay for years, not realizing that even if they couldn't pay them, they could get hundreds of thousands of dollars if they sold the house instead. So I'm a lawyer that 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 does nothing but wills, trust, and estate planning. We help people administer wills and trusts. We prepare wills and trusts. We work with you to get your beneficiary designations in order uh, so that things can be in order for your family, for yourself and for your family. Uh, but you've got to do the work. You've got to take the time. You've got to hire lawyers who do this kind of work and let us do that for you. The name of my company is Wills and Trust LLC. I'm active in the practice of law in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. So call me at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828, and we'll be glad to help you get your documents prepared, review documents that perhaps you had done years ago, because um, that's the only thing that we do, okay? Law is truly powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. What you don't know will definitely hurt you, but what you do know empowers you. Each week, the objective of this program is to empower you by bringing you information and professionals to know who know the Lord to inform you, and also to give you an opportunity to call in and ask questions about things. There are no dumb questions, okay? Seriously. This is a very complicated area of the law. It's a very important area of the law, 
and I invite you to call, ask questions that tells me what you want to know, but also what you may be a bit confused about. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about how the law works. What's a will? What happens to property when you die? What you need to do in terms of your deed and so on like that. So please, I beg of you, there are no dumb questions. Call now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. Remember, though, that this is for information purposes. It is not anything that will establish a attorney-client relationship between you and I or anything that's on the websites. I have several websites, lawtalkwithethelmitchell.com that has a lot of information on it, willsandtrust.net has a lot of information on it, and we're posting a podcast. It already has almost 20 uh, 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 podcasts up, and I've got another 100 or so that we're getting up. So go to, if you listen to podcasts, if you have friends who, who aren't able to listen or maybe you missed a program or whatever, we're getting them up on the podcast by the same name as the program, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. If you go to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, any of the big podcasting platforms, and just put in my name, Ethel Mitchell, it will come up. And you can listen to the program's back from a long time ago as well as those that are more current now. So please be sure and do that. That's what this whole effort is all about. Before I get into the, the, the subject matter that I want to talk about today, unless somebody has something else that they want some clarification on and call in to ask me questions, I want to remind you because it's voting time now. Voting is really, really important as well. Voting is powerful. It determines the kind of government that we have. It impacts everything that you do. It determines how your tax money is spent. And believe you me, you pay taxes, okay? It comes out of your salary before you even get it. So vote. Vote determines who writes the laws. Remember, slavery was legal. Slavery was legal. It was legal to do all the things that they did to us, okay, because the kinds of people that were voted in by the people who exercised their right to vote enforced and kept in force for 200 years the kinds of laws that allowed them to do the kinds of things to us. So if you don't vote, you're letting other people determine your fate, your children's fate, and your grandchildren's fate. You have got to get out and vote one way or the other. It determines the laws. It determines who nominates the judges. It determines who sits on juries. It determines who's the police chief. It determines so many things in our government. And now when we have different thought processes going on about what's important and what's not important, you need to make sure you vote for people who stand for what's important to you and will protect you and will take care of your community. So please vote. Whatever happens, go in and vote. Don't just vote during the presidential elections. 
this this is when a lot of things get changed in between you know elections so get out and vote mobilize your churches your groups and so on and vote just as actively and 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 vehemently and strongly as you voted during the presidential election okay wherever you are so going to go back to wills and trusts there are three documents that I tell everybody that they need to have. There are three primary documents, and I want to talk about how you choose the people that are going to act on your behalf in your will, your power attorney, your medical directives. Those are the three primary documents, your last will and testament, your power of attorney, and your advanced medical directives, and for many people, a trust might be indicated. So if you want to have a trust, how do you choose who's going to be your trustee? How do you choose the person that you have to name to be your medical agent? How do you choose who's going to be the the agent on your power of attorney? So we're going to talk about those kinds of things today. What do you think about when getting your will or your trust done? Because that's something that you have to tell your lawyer. You know, we can't tell you who to choose. You have to tell us who in your family you want to choose to act as your trustee, your power of attorney, your medical directive, your executor, your, your you know, your, in some cases, called personal representative, administrator, and so on in your will. <clears throat> you have to tell us. If you got a lot of money, and when I say a lot, I'm talking about over a million dollars, okay, <clears throat> you might want to consider using a bank or a trust company. But most banks are trust companies, institutions that act as trustees. Only do it, I'm sorry, if you have at least a million dollars in disposable assets, at least a million dollars, and quite a few will require you to have at least $3 million. So for most people, most of my clients, that's not their situation. So you're going to have to name a person, an individual, to act as your trustee, your executor in your will, your power of attorney, or your medical directive. So I'm going to, I want to talk about that a little bit today and other things that you may want to consider when you're thinking about having these documents done, okay? So let's, let's start with some general characteristics of persons that you want to name or you're considering naming as, let's start with your will, your, med- your, your personal representative or executor. Who's going to take care of your 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 will when you die. Who who do you name? Because you name that person, okay? You tell the lawyer this is who you want. The person is often a family member, a spouse, or a child, or sometimes a sibling, okay? Um, but the characteristics that you want to make sure of is trustworthiness. They've got to be trustworthy. You you know, unfortunately, we know in many families that there are certain members of the family who are more trustworthy 
than others. And so you don't want to name someone who is not trustworthy to function in any of these capacities. I don't care how he or she is related to you. If you can't trust your spouse, don't name your spouse. If you can't trust a a child, don't name your child. You can trust a friend to do this for you. But trustworthiness is extremely important. If Another thing to think about is when you name a family member, like a spouse or a child, you are putting them in a position where they have to make major decisions and they are responsible. And so there may be difficulty in carrying out your wishes. And if so, it is more likely for a family member to be looked upon and you know, cause family division than if it is a stranger. In other words, if, if it's your spouse or your child and they have to do something that other members of the family don't agree to, even though that's what you put in your will, okay, or even though that's how they have to do it or they choose to do it to accomplish the objectives in your will, that might be a cause of more family division than if you did not have a member of the family. So think about that. It, to avoid family division, sometimes it might be better to consider naming a non-family member, a friend, okay, a best friend or still somebody that's trustworthy. Absolutely critical. That's absolutely critical, okay, trustworthy. The second quality that this person needs to have is they must be a responsible person. Whoever it is, whether it is a family member, a spouse, a child, a brother, a sister, they must be responsible. They must be willing to work with a lawyer, to file the papers in court, to handle your finances because they're going to get control over your bank accounts, to pay your creditors, to be consistent because it takes time to get all these things done. Okay, and so you want somebody that's not going to drop the ball, but somebody who's going to follow through and be consistent with it. And also to be able to deal with the beneficiaries because the beneficiaries, whoever they are, if it's going to be your children, your spouse, your nieces, your nephews, they're looking to this person who you've nominated, who has been appointed by the court because you put that in your will. All the beneficiaries of your will are looking to that person to get their money, to get their property, and so on. So they've got to be trustworthy. They've got to be consistent. They've got to be responsible to be able to handle the, the, the responsibility of managing your assets, taking over your financing, paying your bills, uh, taking over the house if there's a house involved, keeping it insured. Uh, transferring it to whoever you said should get it or selling it and then transferring it. You know, wh however they're going to do it, they need to be responsible and consistent enough to do that. Another important element that we often don't think about is age. Are they 
the same age as you, which might be okay, all right? But you may want to say, okay, but if that person has died before me or if that person is no longer able or willing to do the job, then name somebody else. I always prefer for my clients to name who they want to be in charge of their estate, not a stranger. I don't like the, the court to have to come in and name somebody uh, because that's a, that's a recipe for either losing control over the estate because the court is going to name a lawyer. Often they will name a lawyer who knows how to do and will do it, but will get paid out of the assets of the estate first and may not do it in the way that you would have wanted, okay, because they don't know the nuances of your family. Uh, so think about the age and the well-being of the person that you name. Are they sick? You know, a sick person is going to have much more difficulty in carrying out your wishes, filing papers, even working with a lawyer. I have a lot of clients who I work with who are sick, and, you know, we get it done, but it's an effort. It takes a lot of effort because it takes time. It's really hard to finish an estate in less than a year. It really is. And in the meantime, there are, case, there are documents that have to be done, bank accounts that have to be recovered, creditors that have to be paid, publications that have to be made before you get to the distribution of the property and writing checks to people and transferring deeds to people and so on like that. So think about the age and the well-being of the persons that you are nominating to be your personal representative in the will or in your estate. Lastly, I want you to also think about where does this person live? The location of this person. Do they live in the same state with you or do they live nearby where your property is located? Because that can become important. There are legal ways of getting someone who is a non-resident of the state where you live appointed. It can be done. Don't get me wrong. And especially in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where we're so close. I mean, we're just you know, so close together. It's not usually a problem at all, okay? But it may require, let's say you live in Washington, D.C., and you nominate somebody who lives in Maryland, the Washington, D.C. court has a very easy way of getting a Maryland resident appointed as personal representative. They simply require their non-resident personal representatives to sign as part of the papers when you initially file, sign a, a, a paper that says, if somebody's trying to sue the deceased person, you, you, the person that's been named as the non-resident personal representative, appoints the court to receive those papers. So if you die, you owe money to, let's say, American Express, and you live in D.C., the D.C. court can't get to your personal representative who lives in Maryland. But American Express has a right to get their money. So what they do is they say, okay, American Express, 
you can file your claim in D.C., and if you need to file a lawsuit in D.C., you can file it at the court in, in D.C. against the estate, and we'll accept the papers, the service of process of the papers. Okay, You don't have to go to Maryland to serve the personal representative. That's how D.C. manages it. Maryland does something different. Maryland requires a non-resident personal representative to appoint somebody else who lives in Maryland to be a resident agent. And that's it, it, it gets to the same result as D.C. It just does it differently. So let's say you live in Maryland. You die in Maryland, your property's in Maryland, and uh, the person that you name to be the personal representative lives in North Carolina. Okay, so that's kind of far apart. The person in North Carolina can file and be appointed as your personal representative. It could be, it'll be a little difficult for them, not the filing, but the actual doing of it. But they have to find somebody, name somebody in Maryland to be their resident agent. And in law, a resident agent is the person who receives what we call service of process if somebody wants to sue you, meaning that they will accept the papers. In court also, if there's something that the court needs the non-resident personal representative to do, they will often serve a copy on the resident agent as well as the person in, in this case, North Carolina. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. And we're talking about how to choose a personal representative in your will. What, what things you, you want to think about when you're, when you're choosing somebody to act as the personal representative in your will. We're gonna take a break shortly, but I wanted to emphasize that you want to choose your personal representative or the executor of your will can be anyone that you choose. It can be a family member, it doesn't have to be. It can be a friend, it can be, uh, you know, some, but there's certain characteristics that you want them to have, certain character traits. You want them to be trustworthy, you want them to be responsible with money as well as with following up paperwork and so on like that. You want them to be of an age to do this because it's a lot of work. You want them to be in relatively good health, all right? And you may want to consider whether they are physically close to where you live and where your property is located because they become responsible for your property. And although legally we can make it happen, it might be a bit of a burden on them to have to come to D.C. or come to Maryland or come to Virginia uh, to take care of that property if you have it and it's part of your estate. So think about those kinds of things uh, when you are deciding who you're going to nominate to be your personal representative. I always tell my clients, I'd like you to have at least two people, one main person and then an alternative if that person is not available. Okay, that is hugely important. If you want to... Uh, Name a institution 
it's rare that institutions will act as executors. Some do. Some trust companies will. But even in those cases, almost always they want you to have, I think there's only one company I know of that will accept that kind of responsibility with 300000 or more in assets. Uh, but most of the time they want you to be, you know, have an estate of at least a million dollars. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. I come every Saturday morning to talk with you, to answer your questions, to try to explain to you how the law works, what it is that you need to know, and what it is how you need to do certain things in order to protect yourself, to protect your assets, your loved ones, and to make sure that you are creating an appropriate legacy, or at least the legacy that you want to leave your property to, okay? So call me at the office at 240-638-2828, and we'll be glad to work with you to get started on your documents, okay? We all have property. We all have uh, bank accounts, you know, life insurance, uh, brokerage accounts, all these kinds of assets that are very important, uh, land, houses. And we want to make sure that those that we want to get it will get it and those that we don't won't. So it's important you have to put it in writing what you want. You have to put it in writing. You cannot just uh, assume that the law is going to give you what you want. It's critically important, okay? Um, When I started earlier today, I talked about how you choose uh, who's going to be your personal representative if you uh, are, are executor or administrator okay, in uh, your will. I want to go on to talk about, and I I talked specifically uh, what happens when you have a non-resident executor. And and what that means is, the example I gave, you live in Washington, D.C., the person you want to manage your estate lives in Maryland. Or you live in Maryland, the person you want to manage your estate lives in D.C. Or you live in Virginia and you have property in Virginia, but the person that you want to manage your property lives in Virginia, I'm sorry, lives in D.C. or Maryland or a different state, okay? Um, And each state manages it a little bit differently. By and large, every state requires you to have someone act as a resident agent, In law, a resident agent is the person authorized to receive service process on your behalf. And what that means in in probate law is that you have died, and so your executor stands in for you. Your executor, your personal representative, your estate now is you. And your assets are in your estate, and so they are the subject of where your creditors can get to you. You're dead and gone, but you left bank accounts, you left property, you left, you know, assets. 
that can be used to pay your bills. And so when somebody sues you, they have to have somebody called a resident agent to receive service of process. And since you're dead, usually the person that receives service of process is your personal representative or the executor of your estate, the person that's named in your will who has been appointed by the court. But when that person does not live in the same state where you lived or where your property is located, each state has a different way or a might be similar, but each state has its own requirements of what they will require for you're now called a non-resident personal representative. And so it's important. You can certainly name somebody in a different state. You can certainly name somebody in a different state, but it's wise to find out, have your lawyer find out what requirements your state is going to make of that non-resident personal representatives before they authorize them to act on your behalf in in that estate, okay? Because each state is a little bit different. So that's important to know. So let's go on and talk about a trustee. Let's say you're, you decide, okay, whether you talk to a lawyer or not, or however it is you decide you want to have a trust. Well, a trust you start with, you are usually, and when I talk about trust on this program, almost always I'm talking about a revocable trust. A revocable trust is a trust that you cre- that the lawyer creates for you while you're alive, and usually you are your own trustee because you maintain control over your assets as long as you're alive and competent to do so, but you name a successor trustee. You name several successor trustees, perhaps. I always like you to have at least two. So you say, if I get sick, become incapacitated, or when I die, this is the person that I name to take over and distribute my trust assets in the way that I have directed. That person is called your successor trustee. So let's talk about what are the factors that you want to think about when you choose the person to be your successor trustee. Again, you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. I can be reached at 240-638-2828. If you have questions while I'm here on the air, call now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. This is a good time to find out the information that it's hard to find anywhere else. It really is. You don't, you don't find this information anywhere else. And you rarely get the opportunity to ask a lawyer questions like this. So take advantage of it, okay? Just remember, there's no attorney-client relationship established by anything that I say here. You really do have to see a lawyer for your own individual situation, okay? So let's go back to, let me finish something that I forgot to mention when we were talking about personal representative of your will. In court, you usually have the right, or your personal representative usually has the right to be paid for the work that they do, 
Okay, just remember that. So they will have the the lawyer gets paid, the personal representative can get paid as well. Just like the broker gets paid when they sell your house and all kinds of stuff like that. So if there's a question of does the executor get paid, they can get paid. A lot of times when it's family members, they don't take anything else, all right? Uh, They don't ask for a commission. They don't ask to be paid separately. But the law does allow it where there's assets uh, available for that. And there's, there's no particular, well, sometimes they're formulas, but it really depends on what they have to do, okay? But they can be paid for their services. Just keep that in mind. So let's, let's talk about trustees. Who would you name to be a trustee? How do you choose a trustee? The first thing you have to decide is, are you going to name an individual person or are you going to name a corporation or a business? And that often depends on cost. There are many trust companies in the United States that manage wealthy people's money. They are expensive to use, and they usually require you to have at least a million dollars in investable assets, not just in the value of your assets, but investable assets, not always, but usually. And quite often, the bigger companies want you to have $3 million, okay? So an individual, and they're going to pay, and they're going to get paid a percentage of those assets. In other words, they are going to get 1% one, one to 2% each year of the value of those assets as their fee. So not only they, they offer institutional management, which sometimes you need, but it is expensive and you need to have a lot of money before you even qualify to hire them. So for most people, they're going to name an individual. This program is brought to you each Saturday morning by Wills and Trusts, LLC, my law office, where the only kind of law we do is Wills, Trusts, estate planning documents. We assist people in administering estates and wills. And so give us a call at 240-638-2828. Please feel free to call in now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. If you have questions about what I'm talking about right now or about wills, about probate, what happens when somebody dies, how to make sure your property is transferred and used the way you want it to after your death, uh, now is a good time to call in and ask your questions. And I'll be glad to do my best to give you the principles around the law involved. Um, But call in early so we're not going to be rushed at the very end of the program. Today, I thought I would talk to you about how you choose an executor. We just finished talking about that earlier. Now we're talking about how do you choose a trustee if you decide that you want to have a trust done. I just finished discussing the differences between choosing an individual and an institution, like their trust companies, their banks, a lot of financial uh, companies like Fidelity, Ameriprise, you know, uh, uh, Wells Fargo, all of them have trust companies that manage trust for people, but they do, not only are they expensive, but they require you to have 
at least a million dollars in sometimes in investable assets in many instances. So that may make you more apt to use an individual instead. So if you say an individual, let's continue to talk about what are the things that that individual should be able to do. One of the most important things is the ability to say no. The ability to say no. And what do I mean by that? Attorney Mitchell, what do you mean by ability to say no? You need to have someone. Often, well, let me put it like this. Often when you do a trust, it is because you are trying to save money so it can grow over a period of time so that it is then available for your loved ones, whether it's children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever they are, a spouse, whoever it is, you are you are putting this money in somebody else's hands while still protecting it for your named beneficiary. And so that person that you are naming, because regardless of what we write in a piece of paper, the individual that's administering the trust has the control over the trust. And they are supposed to do it according to the terms that are in the trust. But you have to give them a certain level of flexibility. And so if you say, I authorize you to take care of the health, maintenance, and support of my children, for example, that's a common one, health, education, maintenance, and support, H-E-M-S, that's, that they have to make a decision about what's important, how much money to take, how much money to give, and what to use it for. If you have a beneficiary, we, we call them a spendthrift. Let's say you have a beneficiary, you have a child, an adult child even, for usually, and, and you love them dearly, but you know they can't manage money. Sometimes they have an illness. Uh, a lot of people with bipolar disease are not very good with money. I have quite a few clients who have adult children, they're educated, they, they um, have families and so on, the children, but they cannot manage money. They, I've had several clients like that where they just throw money, what we would call throw money away, okay? And it's part of the disease that they have. Um, in that case, two things. Whoever, and, and you want to take care of them. You want to take care of them. So you've got to name somebody who knows them, who cares for them, but who can say no to them. Okay? Who can say no to them. You may have um, a, a beneficiary, a spouse, or a child who has a gambling problem, a drug addiction problem, a substance abuse problem, uh, or they just may be irresponsible with money. So that person that you named as a trustee to manage the money that you're leaving for this same person has to be able to say no to them. They have to be able to follow your wishes and preserve and protect the assets that you're leaving for them. And sometimes it can be a little difficult. They can be difficult. I had a good friend who 
whose mother left her a trust, and she was harassing the mother's lawyers constantly. I don't act as trustee, by the way, so don't ask me. I don't do it. There's more responsibility than I can take care of. But there are a lot of lawyers who do. And she, she told me she was constantly harassing her mother's lawyers about, that's my money, my mother left it for me, blah, 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 blah. And when she got a bit older, she said, girl, I'm so glad them people didn't give me that money because I would have just thrown it away. So you need a trustee who's going to say no, but still be, you know, compassionate and so on, but take care of accomplishing your objectives. And if your objective is to make sure there's money for your, your loved ones or your state beneficiaries to go to college, to get educated, to have a retirement. Some, some of my clients have 40 and 50 year old children right now and their children don't have no retirement. And so one of their main concerns is to provide a retirement income for them, you know? So whoever you name as your trustee, you want to be sure that they are going to be responsible. They're going to be consistent. If necessary, they can say no. Fourthly, you want them to be able to keep records, okay? Being a trustee requires filing tax returns, keeping records for accounting purposes. Now, as a practical matter, they're going to hire somebody to do that. So you want somebody who is going to be responsible enough to seek and get professional accounting services, tax services, legal services. And, of course, all those services will be paid for by the trust. But you don't want somebody who's just going to throw it away and not be bothered with it, okay? You want somebody who is going to safeguard your assets. And by that I mean if you leave a home, for example, the taxes have to get paid. The yard has to be cut. If somebody else is living in the house, let's say you leave a home. Some of my clients have homes that they are going to leave, and they say, I want, as long as my brother's alive, I want him to be able to live in this house. But you know your brother. He's not, for whatever reason, he's not responsible, either with money or with upkeep. So you're going to leave enough money, or you, you have to leave enough money in your trust, and tell your trustee, pay the taxes on the house, please, so my brother doesn't lose it. Make sure that the yard gets cut. Make sure there's insurance on the house. All those kinds of responsibilities you need somebody who's going to do that, who's going to safeguard the asset. When there's money, a lot of times we have money in trust that's put there so that your children and your grandchildren will have money to go for education or start a business or whatever. And so you want somebody who is going to invest that money with a professional investment advisor who is going to follow up and make sure that the professional investment advisor is doing what's proper with those things, not just going to buy a product and let it sit on the shelf for a long time. Um, they're going to be safeguarding of assets. And, of course, you want them to be able to be consistent and able to respond to the needs of your beneficiaries. Okay, so those are the kinds of things you want to think about when you are deciding who is going to be the trustee of, or successor trustee in your trust. Because a trustee's function lasts for a long time or for a period of time. You can say if your child is 20, 
I want you to hold this until he or she reaches 35, for example. Just an example. A lot of times people say, well, my child's not quite responsible enough yet. So let's hold on to this. You know, maybe when they finish college, they can get money. Maybe when I die, they can get money. But I want you to hold on to it, preserve it, take care of them with it if they need it. But let's get, let's let them get a little bit more uh, mature uh, and let's let it grow. In fact, very wealthy people keep their money growing for generation unto generation. They don't spend it. So uh, that's an idea for you. We've been talking about how you choose to be a, or choose who's going to be your personal representative or executor in your will and how you choose who's going to be the trustee of your trust. Uh, if you have questions while I'm here on the air, please call in at 1-800-450-7876, 1-800-450-7876. If you have questions about this or anything else related to the matter of wills, trust, estate planning, how you deal with property, and so on. And I want to really encourage all of you out there to get a will done. Oh, my God, I cannot tell you how many cases, how many situations I deal with every week where people will call and say, well, my, my spouse died without a will. My brother died without a will. My sister died without a will. And they're stunned at how much difficulty there is when you die without a will. Uh, so it's really important for all of you out there listening whether you have children or not, to have a, at least a will, a power of attorney, and a medical directive. At least have that. If you are a man, it is critically important that you have a will. Whether you're married or not, a will, if only to say, this is who I want to get my property. A lot of times people will contact me and they'll say, so-and-so died. Uh, I don't think he had any children, uh, or sometimes we think he had a child, but there's no proof, you know, blah, 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 blah. And now what you're doing is you're setting yourself up or your brothers, your sisters, your whoever it is that you want it to benefit, you're setting them up in opposition to somebody else who may claim to be your child, okay? And it's really hard to disprove that somebody is your child or not, okay? So you can have a will done. You don't have to say it's wise to say if you have a child, but you don't have to. You don't have to disinherit somebody if you don't want to. You don't, I like to say if you have a child or not, but you're, regardless, you are not obligated to leave your stuff to your child. People don't realize that. You don't have to. So if you want a will that says, I know my brothers and sisters could benefit from what I have, then have a lawyer prepare a will that says, when I die, whatever I own goes to my brothers and sisters. Whatever I own goes to my niece and my nephews. Whatever I own goes to my best friend, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whoever it is, whatever it is, at least have a last will and testament. It just makes all the difference in the world between your assets being wasted or dissipated with unnecessary legal fees, delay, 
you know, it's just, it makes such a difference. So anyway, you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. If you're talking to somebody and they're saying, I don't need a will, blame me. Tell them, I heard on the radio this lawyer talking, and she said you have to have a will. Blame me. I'll take the I'll take the blame. I'll take the weight on it because every week I get cases coming into the office where somebody dies without a will, and we it is just an it's just a hassle. It really is. So let's get back. We've been talking today about how you choose who you're going to appoint to be to serve to manage your properties when you die and to distribute them in the way that you want. We've talked about the executor of the will. We've talked about trustee of a trust, if you have a trust. One thing that is a little different about a trust also is that you don't, if it's done properly, I'll put it like this, if your trust is executed properly and you have transferred your properties, your bank accounts, and so on into a trust where you don't have to go to court to do anything, then the court does not have anything to do with the trust, i.e. you don't have to worry about the fact that you may have named somebody in a different state from where you live or where your property is to be in charge of your assets. You don't have the same concerns that you have with an executor where they have to qualify in front of a court and that court is going to make them do some additional things if they don't live in the same state. You don't have that same problem with a trust. Now, our trustee. So we talked about the personal representative or executor, which is the person that's named to administer your will. We've talked about the trustee uh, of a trust, if you decide to have a trust. They should both be responsible. They should both be uh, consistent. They should both be able to uh, administer. They should both be you know, trustworthy, be able to administer your estate as you wish. Uh, and before I forget, power of attorney, same thing. Person you named to be your power of attorney which would manage your legal and financial affairs while you are alive. The power of attorney is only effective while you are alive. It's not effective once you die. Okay, but for somebody to manage your legal and your money and your legal affairs while you are alive, of course you want them to be trustworthy. You want them to be consistent. You want them to be able to know that whatever you have is only for you while you're alive, period. It's not for anybody else, okay? And not to be misusing your money uh, and keep up with the records that they have of what they're doing. You want that person also to have those same characteristics and qualities. Now, when you get to choosing a healthcare agent, the considerations are similar, but they're a little bit different. They're a little bit different. You can name the same person to be your health care agent, but they don't have to be, okay? They're a little bit different. So your health care agent is the person who would make health care decisions for you if you got sick and you were not able to. So 
Number one, they have to be at least 18 years of age. Number two, they have to be willing to make potentially difficult decisions. Because they're making decisions about your health care while you're still alive. Okay, so this person has got to be able to make potentially difficult decisions. You want to be close enough to this person and to discuss with them your desires, your values, your fears, and your preferences. So I always recommend that you talk to the person who's going to make health care decisions for you and let them know what you want and what you don't want. You want them to know your religious values and your moral values. Many people have very firm religious ideas and values about what happens, what should happen, about life support, about, you know, dying and so on. So you want that person who is doing, who you've given the responsibility of making health care decisions for you if you cannot, to know what makes life meaningful for you. For many people, they'll say to me, well, Ms. Mitchell, if I am in a vegetative state, I don't want to be here. I just want to be kept comfortable, but let me die. For a lot of other people, they'll say, no, do everything you can to keep me alive. For many people now, they have taken care of others, their parents in many instances. And it's always interesting to me that when a person has taken care of another person who had a feeding tube, that they never want a feeding tube. Apparently, the impression is that a feeding tubes are painful. I don't know if that's true or not, but all of, I would say almost all of my clients who have had that experience with other people choose not to want that for themselves. We've been talking today about how to choose the persons that you're going to name in your documents to be your trustee, your executor, of your will, your power of attorney agent. And now we're talking about how to choose someone to be your healthcare agent. When it comes to your healthcare agent, it's a little bit different. They have to be 18 years of age. They have to be capable of making difficult decisions, okay, potentially difficult decisions. It should be someone that you can discuss your desires, your values, your fears, your preferences with, someone who knows your religious and moral values, knows what makes life meaningful for you, will honor your wishes, but also someone who's going to ask questions of doctors and others to get information that you need to make decisions. You want somebody who's going to be assertive with health professionals if needed. And often, usually you want someone who lives near you or who is willing to travel if needed to, to make decisions and to care for you. So one of my good friends is, is taking care of her mother right now. And she was in a, a hospital, a good hospital. She'd had a stroke. And 
um, she was having a hard time getting the doctors and the nurses to give her information and, and, and to, to, you know, adequate information, you know, information about what was needed, what kind of care her mother was getting and so on like that. And she had to be assertive with the doctors and with the nurses. She had to really be able to ask the questions, to get the information, to find out what they were doing, to make sure that her mother was getting the proper care. So those are the kinds of qualities and the kinds of persons that you want to name as your healthcare agent. Okay. And that's why I say it can be the same person or persons, but there might be someone else that would be better at that skill than others. Uh, in many families uh, that are clients of mine, I notice that they'll have one person who is going to, sometimes it's just a matter of convenience. One person is able to and is responsible primarily for the medical care of the, usually of a parent. They have the time and the ability to take the parent to their uh, doctor's appointments, to pick up the medication and so on like that, um, take them to, uh, you know, whatever therapy they need and so on. And then a different person may manage the business part, take care of the, the checkbooks and so on. If so, that's fine. If that works for you, that's fine. Whatever is works best. But understand that there may be sometimes the same person is fine, but sometimes you may want to divide those responsibilities. Quite often, you can divide them, but you can use each other. Let's say you have two children, and you have one for medical and the other for legal and financial, but then you allow them to switch up. Or sometimes what I'll do is I'll say one or the other. So either of them are capable and legally empowered to do what needs to be done. Now, you don't do that in a will. You don't do that in a will uh, or a trust for that matter. You say in a will, it should be this person. And then if this person doesn't serve, then the next person. In a trust, you can have a trustee, which would be yourself, and a co-trustee. In other words, the same person that you might want to act on your behalf with your power of attorney and so on. Quite often, particularly if you're up in age or if there's some illness there, you will name the same person to be your co-trustee so that they're capable of acting on your behalf without having to go to a doctor to have you declared incapacitated. In those situations, you name them as co-trustee, they sign the trust with you, and they're able to act on your behalf if need be. In all of these instances, you have to have absolute trust in the person that you are naming to provide these services for you. You've been listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. This is the only kind of law we do. You can give us a call at 240 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828. Uh, these are decisions that are important. They will determine, one, for yourself while you're alive, how your assets are going to be handled. 
And you want to put these things in order. You want to have your documents prepared and signed by an attorney uh, under their supervision or supervision of their staff while you're in the best health possible. Please don't wait until you get sick. A lot of people like to wait until they get sick, and then they um, they don't have the time to do it, or they sometimes they get people contacting you when they already are not contact. I mean, their children contact me when they're not competent to sign documents, and it's too late at that point. It's too late at that point. So it's important to get these things done. Um, make sure the right people are in place are empowered legally to sign for you and to do the things that you want done. You can do it. You should do it, but you should, don't wait, please. I beg of you, don't wait. It's important. Just get it done, then it's done. Put the book on your shelf. Tell your child, this is, or whoever it is, this is where you go. This is the book, because we give everybody a book that has all your documents in it, your bank statements, and so on like that. And, and, They'll know what to do. They know what you want done. It's done. If you want to make changes later on, you can, certainly. These documents can always be changed as long as you are competent to do so. Um, but understand that it does take time to do it. It does take time to do it. You don't just call up the lawyer and tomorrow you have it done. Okay? Um, you've been listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Please go to my <clears throat> podcast uh, this program will be posted also uh, in case you want to listen to it again just put in my name at uh, apple podcast any of them spotify iHeartRadio, all the big podcasting platforms and the law talk with ethel mitchell symbol will come up and um we, you can search them and listen to them uh whenever you want whenever you want so please take advantage of this uh, resource. I really want you to take advantage of the resource and go to the website, lawtalkwithethelmitchell.com, wilsontrust.net, uh, and give us a call at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828. If you'd like me to work with you or your family, if you or someone you know needs a will or a trust, give us a call at 240 240- Six three eight two eight two eight. We'll be back next week. Um, if you are in a state or a county that's voting, get out and vote. Please go vote, whichever way you want, but vote. Don't let other people be in charge of your future. And that's it's critically important. All right. So take advantage, exercise all your rights. Be careful. COVID is still out there. Be careful. Get vaccinated. And be careful, please. Um, I'll be back next week. So give me a call at 240-638-2828 and save up your questions so that I can answer them uh, when I get back. In the meantime, have a good week. 